Everyone's looking for someone they can lean on. For you to have trust and confidence in yourself first, you can become a role model for others. Welcome to Rise Regardless, a podcast featuring the trials and triumphs of resilient individuals. I'm your host, Patrice Chan, and that was Farnoosh Brock. Farnoosh went from electrical engineer and rising leader at a Fortune 100 to business coach, trainer, and speaker, having spoken at Google, Duke University, Fidelia Investments, and so many others. She has helped many individuals and businesses adopt the mindset of serving over selling to build deep trust, meaningful customer relationships, as well as sustainable profits. In addition to her latest book, The Serving Mindset, Stop Selling and Grow Your Business, she's the creator of Crack the Code to Get Promoted, a leadership and career advancement course for corporate professionals, as well as the author of three health books and a wellness program. All right. Let's get started. Farnoosh Brock, thank you so much for being on the Rise Regardless podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you. Oh, I'm so glad to be here with you today, Patrice. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I understand that you were at a Fortune 100 company for about 11 years, climbing that corporate ladder as a leader. Tell us then, what was the catalyst for you starting your own company? During that time, you know, I had a very successful career. I did a number of things in corporate America and um, I enjoyed it, but I was growing unfulfilled as I was kind of climbing the ladder and um, I ended up resigning in 2011 and starting my own company. I was very lucky because I had the support of my husband who also worked at the same company at the time. And um, our business grew to the point where he joined me 18 months later from the same company and we've never once looked back. Farnoosh, I'm so happy to hear that was the right decision for the both of you. And a bold one for sure. What would you say to someone who'd like to venture off and start their own business emulating you, but nonetheless hesitant to leave their seemingly stable corporate job? Right. So, I mean, in my situation, Patrice, um, both of us had um, the so-called, and I'm doing air quotes, stable job, because I don't think any job is a stable, but that's beside the point. So, um, we w- we had those jobs. So, I was fortunate in that my husband said, look, we're going to take a risk and we're going to go to half of our income and we're going to take a chance on you doing something. So in a situation where you have a life partner that can support you, um, it makes it um, a little bit more possible to take those risks, I believe, to come out of a job. This is the, the logistical part. The emotional and psychological part has other barriers. And I can talk about that that. But logistically, I think um, most of us, when we have two very comfortable incomes, if you, um, I mean, my husband and I are very fiscally conservative. We're very, you know, um, uh, financially conservative. So we, we had savings, we had very little spending. So we were able to take this big shift in income for a period of time, right? To take a chance on my business. And uh, the emotional side is, um, you know, it sort of comes down to your 
I guess your perspective on life, your risk tolerance, and what is really important to you. You know, and, and, and that's big, and I can unpack that for you. But um, at some point, you might just be wondering what you're going to work for every day. You know, of course, we have our day-to-day responsibilities. You have bills to pay. You have a mortgage. But beyond that, some of us have very, very comfortable jobs and are miserable in them. Me and a lot of my coworkers were in that category. And so you start asking bigger questions, and that's what happened to me. I started asking questions like, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my work? And my work didn't feel like it had an impact. I couldn't feel the impact. It was a corporate job. It was a lot of slides and presentations and Excel sheets and meeting after meeting. I couldn't feel the impact like I do today in my business. And so something big was missing. So that became a tipping point for me to where I really, really needed to do something differently. Right. And that not only takes a lot of awareness and acknowledging your fulfillment level or lack thereof in your case, but also moving forward, knowing that there'll be emotional and logistical hurdles. So thanks so much for breaking those down for us. And speaking of hurdles and barriers, what was the primary barrier you faced during the process of altering your own career trajectory? So during the process, I think the hardest part was defining my identity because it gets a little bit fuzzy, right? Because I really, really identified with my corporate job. Like I was your quintessential corporate gal, you know? It wasn't like I just had a job and I went to work. I lived and breathed in my company. And so when I became a little unhappy, the, the, the recent years, I was questioning my identity because I couldn't quite identify with the, with the corporate culture anymore. And then when I was questioning leaving, it was a whole other question of who am I without my corporate job? Who am I without my, um, my laptop and my badge and my, my cubicle and my, my corporate account to travel? And, and I know it sounds fancy, but I mean, once you strip that away, I felt like I had nothing. And um, it was sort of, you know, um, uh, losing, felt felt like losing my footing, you know. And yet, I was certain that is the right decision. Like a part of me knew it's time to move on, it's time to leave. But that was the barrier, that was the obstacle to answer your question. There's a lot of discomfort, there's a lot of uncertainty. And I decided to go with it. And I was very, very fortunate to have at least one person in my life that really supported that process. And this is what I teach my clients. It's really important to have at least one person. It could be your life partner, your best friend, your neighbor, your mentor, your parent. One person who supports you in that process. You could do it alone, but it's so much easier if you have one person. Because for me, the identity piece was really big. And then losing my status my, my title, my, my status, and my income, um, which I defined as success. So going from my six-figure income to nothing um, to, again, starting over, um, it felt like, in a way, a failure. And that was hard to come to terms with because I'm a very driven, ambitious person. So this is all, you know, things I hadn't anticipated but it showed up and it's just some of the stuff that really came up and it has been wonderful 
because it's helped me grow as a person to 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 um deal with them and manage them and overcome them and then help other people deal with similar situations in my work. Mm-hmm. And that's a really great preface into what you're doing right now, the impact you're making on other people's lives and career journeys. So I'd love to know what drives you. Yeah. So my work today, I love it. I love it so much. I mean, I cannot identify between work and play anymore. And um, I don't know if that's a good thing, but it's it's working for me. So um, So yeah, and I never felt this way during the the last few years in my corporate job. So, you know, those are identifiers that I'm doing the right thing. But what motivates me today is the impact. So remember I said earlier, I didn't feel the impact. I didn't see it. I could not connect the dots. That is not the case for every corporate job. My husband's work was actually very much of a high-level impact. And I'm really proud of the projects that he was doing. So um, for me, I couldn't feel the impact. Today in my work, where I work with individual I have individual clients. They are either going through a professional journey or in a corporate job, or they are growing their business. And so I can feel the impact my coaching and consulting work has on them and on their business and on their career over the course of our work. And it comes through in so many different ways, whether it's a tangible impact, like I help them get promoted or I help them bring on new clients. So that's tangible and measurable. Or the more beautiful part is the intangible. Like somebody realizes a blind spot they had that they didn't even know was sabotaging a relationship. Or um, they, they realize something that was really getting in their way. And once they overcome that, it's a small shift, but it has a big impact in how they run their business. And that is wonderful to feel because you can see that you are you are impacting others, you are really helping people, you are really being of some service in the world. And, and that's wonderful. I mean, this is why I do what I do. I love it. I, I you know, I'm, I feel very lucky to be doing it. And, um, and I think this is something that we cannot compromise in the work that we do. So we have to be able to feel the impact, whether it's measurable or immeasurable, tangible or intangible, in order to have a sense of fulfillment. Absolutely. And a common theme I've been hearing from you is the realizations, both through self-reflection and the help of others for yourself and for your clients. So let's dive more into the interactive aspect with others. Tell us about the mentors or support systems you've had along the way. Oh, good question. So, um, and, and this is really important because it's a lesson that I wish I had learned sooner in that investing in your own education and growth and development, especially after you leave a career and go into business for yourself is huge. So I don't have an MBA. I, I chose not to get a certification in coaching, but instead I designed my own uh, curriculum, if you will, of education in, in business. And so I hired a number of coaches. Um, one of the, the biggest mentors was my business coach, my first business coach, who, um, who shared, um, gosh, so much in terms of mindset, insight, business savvy, relationships, understanding people, getting along with people, um, reading people, um, 
uh, understanding prospecting conversations, uh, the art and business of coaching. I learned so much from her over the course of the time we worked together, which was a couple of years. Um, I had a couple of mastermind groups where we supported each other. So we were in peer capacity, but we challenged each other. So um, some of my mastermind peers are my mentors and me, them. So it was a, you know, mutual relationship. And um, I think, you know, just following role models in my line of work. I read a lot. I read voraciously. And so there are people who have done a lot of great work in terms of books, talks, TEDx talks, what have you. And I, I try to absorb them, maybe read the book's a couple of times or go back to them and reference them. And um, I, you know, I really try to let the message sink in. I've learned as I've grown older that it may not sink in the first or the second or the third time. But if there's something in the message that brings you back, like the message of serving versus selling kept bringing me back to certain certain people, certain role models, certain techniques, then um, you want to absorb it and give yourself time and, and um, learn it and experiment with it. So um, there is the coaches I've had to summarize for you, the mastermind groups, and then there is role models where I watch them, right? It may not be a one-on-one interaction. And through all of that, um, um, I feel like, you know, I have surrounded myself with um, the education and the growth I need. And it continues. It does not end uh, in order to continue to be able to be of service to my clients and in my work. You've imparted such great insights from investing in your own education to being receptive to receiving help and With that, we see there's a lot of moving parts into achieving what you have. Now, you mentioned earlier that a lot of times for you, work and play are so intrinsically intertwined. So tell us, how have you been able to master this balance? Well, balance is, um, you know, (laughs) something uh, we work on every day, right? But um, it is actually a theme that I um, have started to honor a lot more. I uh, practice yoga every day on my mat at home. Um, I'm I'm actually recovering from a terrible cold, so I had to skip a few days. But, but, you know, in general, I have a practice and I call it a grounding practice. For me, it's yoga, yoga and breathing. Um, I think what's important is to have have a grounding practice for yourself, something that grounds you. I like this term a lot. Hopefully it resonates with you and hopefully it's clear what it means. Because when we are doing a lot, when we're overwhelmed, it's like we are constantly being pulled in different directions. But when you are grounded, when you have strong roots, then you are able to focus more and you're able to actually be more productive. So there are different ways you can have a grounding practice for yourself. For some people, it's walking um, in a, you know, in a meditative state or in, 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 in nature. For some people, it's spending time with their pet, with their children, with, um, with a loved one. It's whatever is going to help you nurture a sense of calm and inner peace, even if it's for 10 minutes a day. And it's something that we need and we need it on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times a day. So I think if you have a grounding practice, whatever that may be, it's going to help you balance it out with being on the... um, creative side and output mode where you are creating work, responding to the world, um, being of service to others. Because this part is where you are 
filling your own cup, so to speak. You're nurturing yourself. And, um, and I think it's something that, you know, uh, we're starting to talk more and more about. We talk a lot more about meditation. We talk a lot more about quiet time, about, you know, um, uh, pausing our inboxes and, and taking time out. So, so I'm glad to see the conversations happening more. And, and I think finding a grounding practice for yourself, it could be, you know, training for that marathon, whatever it is that's going to take you out of work and nurture you so you can go back energized to give more again to give more again i love how that's the foundation of what you teach to your clients writing their book and uphold your life yeah to stop selling and instead serve how did this mantra come about yeah so so you know patrice when i was going through college and uh and then my work uh in in the corporate world i just hated selling or anything that had to do with selling i i grew up with this mindset around selling being really sleazy and and dishonest and off-putting and so um when i went into business that was a little bit of a dilemma because in business we are responsible for the bottom line and so i I thought, okay, I just have to bear and grin it and, and, and do what it takes to, to do the selling in my business in order to stay in business. And I struggled so much with it. And I had mediocre success at best using traditional selling techniques, marketing techniques, what have you. And at the time, I had just started my coaching practice. I had just started selling my products. And so it was really hard to come to terms with that. And um, and then I started to read about this different approach, this, you know, and I, and I was actually following some very, very successful people in the field. And that's when I realized, you know, they are very, very successful, but they don't seem to be selling in a way that I'm familiar with it or the traditional sense. They seem to be really confident and and yet they are so successful and they they also happen to be, you know, charging premium prices and they are, you know, their work is really, really good. And so what are they doing differently? So my curiosity led me to a lot of research on a different approach to elevating your level of success. And, and I realized, you know, it comes down to what we all know, but again, I had to hear it and really absorb it again, which is to help people to be of genuine service. And the real question around that is how do you do that and balance it with business responsibilities, if you will? right? Because all of us want to help others, but how do you do that so that at the end of the day, you still have income and clients and products sold? And that's when I started to establish this framework. You know, a framework is like you do the serving in a framework that makes sense, that serves both your needs in business and also that of your prospective clients. These are people who may or may not become your clients. And I just became fascinated with this. And so I started practicing it in my coaching. You know, I just set aside all I knew about selling. I stopped and I started serving people and making the conversation all about them and still showing up extremely confident. And when I realized I can be of help and service with permission, I started to go into that part of the conversation. And the response from my prospects was incredible. And, and I started to realize there is a shift here. 
because something is different. I had stopped selling and I felt good about it and I started having better clients. I'm summarizing a lot, you know, just in the interest of time, but it really came down to um, a shift in how I approached my business, which started to give me a lot more success. And then I started to do research on that. I ended up writing my book, The Serving Mindset, on, on, the, on the subject because it has been able to, you know, also help other people. Like I've repeated the process of serving over selling for professionals that I work with. So, um, yeah, I, I hope I answered your question. It's a, you know, it's a shift in perspective and, of course, a methodology that you follow in order to create the results that you crave and have the impact that you want to have. For sure, yeah. That was a loaded question and you delivered a wonderful answer to it. <laughs> um, one thing, thank you. Yeah, for sure. So one thing I'd love to know is if, let's say, for example, we did a little role play and I'm a potential prospect to you mm-hmm. and I was telling you okay. about the kind of struggles I go through with valuing my time when it comes to, let's say, my own clients. So it's kind of this indirect relationship for you. What would you say to me if I brought up the concern that I had a lot of issues with clients who are having different expectations with what I can deliver to them and that I feel like they're not respecting my time? Yeah, very good questions. Well, I would ask you, Patrice, what kind of agreements did you come to with your clients at the beginning of your relationship? Right. Because expectations happen often when we don't discuss what is going to transpire in a relationship. And so I expect something in my head, you expect something in your head and it doesn't come to be. So then there is disappointment. But if you when at the start of a relationship, if you take the time to establish how the relationship is going to work. What is the arrangement? What is the level of access to you in that relationship? And come to agreements, not expectations, but agreements with your client as two mature professionals. And if they have any concerns at that point, they can bring it up. You know, that's not enough level of access or that's great. But when you come to agreements, often that eliminates the problem you are sharing with me. So I find when we are talking about, oh, they have these expectations and I didn't expect that and so on and so forth, it's because people didn't come to clear agreements on the arrangement to begin with. And if you haven't done that and here you are in the middle of it, then it's simple enough to address. You know, you just start a conversation and you you ask what the expectations are and you start to say, you know, these are the agreements that I, I'm sorry, we should have had at the beginning. My oversight, like I would take full responsibility if that has happened because it, it has been my oversight. And so here's what we can do for this relationship. And moving forward, I will make sure to set those agreements up front. That was wonderful, Farnoosh. Succinct and so eloquently put to deal with one potential interpersonal issue. Though that situation probably doesn't rank high in terms of a difficult conversation, it leads me to wonder, how have you dealt with difficult conversations in the past, and what advice do you have for others? Yes, difficult or awkward or just uncomfortable, right? I would say avoiding it is more difficult, so that's your encouragement for having the conversation, 
Okay, that's the first thing. Because most of us want to avoid it. And, and hopefully it will just disappear. It will just go away and leave me alone. So that doesn't often happen. Like avoiding the issue. So having the conversation is actually less uncomfortable than that, but still slightly uncomfortable. And the other thing is approach it from a place of deep caring. So instead of thinking about yourself and how bad you're going to feel and how awkward it's going to be, think about how you're doing this because you care and hopefully you do, like we're not, you know, acting, we're actually genuine. We care about our client and there is a misunderstanding here and because we care, we need to clear it up. And I find when I remove the the, um, focus, the attention, the spotlight from me to them all of a sudden I can relax and I can say, okay, it's not about me. So now I'm being of service, going back to the serving mindset. And now we can talk about the issue and we're going to come to some agreement. Maybe they're going to be happy, maybe not. I'm going to do my best to come to an agreement that works for both of us. But to go into that conversation, I believe that was your question, where you feel like, oh, it's uncomfortable, it's awkward. Think about how much you care about your clients, how much you care about your work and your reputation in that for you to serve future people, you have to have a solid reputation. So if this is something that needs to be addressed and can be addressed in a genuine conversation, you owe it to yourself to do it. So, and there's ways to go about that conversation. I actually talk about this a lot in my book because, you know, these are things that are really like the actual phrasing of things is something I really struggled with. So it was something I specifically wanted to know. And those are more details for, you know, for later, or if somebody wants to read the book, but the general approach is to care deeply about your client. Don't make it about yourself and go and have the conversation because not having it is more difficult down the road. Mm-hmm, for sure. And with that, you've mentioned so many micro-resilient stories from how to maintain healthy relationships with others, which, as you mentioned, at times entails having those difficult conversations to the audacious move of starting your own business and taking half the income you and your husband previously had at the start. So if you could only pick one notable resilience anecdote that you've yet to share with us and share it, what would that one be? I think I'm really, really, really happy that I trusted myself to know this is the right thing to do. It was scary. It was um, um, not exactly a popular decision, you know, in, in my circle, in my family. And and yet, I'm just so glad I trusted myself. It's not so much a story. It's just, it's just a lesson, I guess, in hindsight, that um, it's okay to leave behind a really, quote-unquote, successful, cushy job and to not know exactly what I'm going to do but to trust that this thing I'm doing over here is not exactly what I'm I'm meant to be doing, right? Because sometimes you just have to eliminate first in order for the rest of the picture to become clear. So I am really, really proud that I was able to take that step and I didn't take it alone. You know, I mentioned I took it with my husband's help and support and, um, and I still took it. So that has changed everything. So one decision in your life can change everything. 
And I think we don't realize the impact of this. We think, oh, I'll stay in this job another year and see what happens. And you don't realize that's a decision you just made that's going to alter the course of your life. And so when you get the intuition, the insight, I just blogged about this, never ignore your strokes of insight. When you get that insight that says, I need to do something differently, start listening because the voice doesn't go away. And, um, and I think that's, that's really the start of everything. So I just go back to when I decided I'm going to resign and I'm going to figure it out. And, you know, I did eventually. And, and, and you will too, if that's, you know, what you want to do. Mm-hmm, for sure. You alluded to a really interesting point earlier about having potentially different values from your family and entering that sort of a different kind of career trajectory than you initially planned. And so I'd love for you to kind of elaborate on how do you balance your own values with the values of um, those that really matter to you, like your family, for example? Yeah, yeah, I know. That's a very difficult question. I wish I could avoid it. (laughs) But, you know, um, and and I get it, right? You know, our families, um, like... Parents are always a different generation, right? Naturally, they're always going to think differently. And and I think confusing love and understanding might be sometimes the difficulty. Like we want our parents to understand our choices. And that's a lot to ask because we don't even understand their choices. So I think sticking to love. You love your parents, they love you. But if you're an adult, if you're not living at your parents' home, if you are independent, and if you're taking care of yourself, you're an adult. You have the wheel. You can take the car anywhere you want as long as you're responsible and you're not a burden to them. And so being kind and loving in that process, but still doing what you are meant to do is is really ultimately what it comes down to. And, And I think navigating that. It's very emotional because we're so attached to our families, even if we're not close, you know, we're related by blood. And I think just, um, gosh, being, being kind is, is probably what I would say. I wish I could be, you know, even more kind if I look back and, um, and I ended up doing what I wanted to do, you know, and everything is fine now and, and everyone's getting on fine with each other. But, I think being kind and patient and not expecting them to understand your choices. So don't try to explain and over-explain and justify. Don't do that, but respect them, listen to them, but you don't have to take their advice. And I don't want the parents to come after me after this podcast. You know, <laughs> I love my parents. But the point is, it's your life, right? And and you have to make smart decisions. And maybe you're going to make a stupid decision right? And you're going to pay for it. But that could be a life lesson. But it is yours to make. As long as you're willing to face the consequences, go make it. And if you have a really good relationship with your parents, they will come around. All they want is for us to be happy and safe and, you know, get on with life in a way that they want us to get on, you know, that that, that would be, um, that would make them proud. So, um, sometimes it's a matter of compromises and sometimes maybe you can get really creative and find ways to both please your parents and still, um, do what you want to do, but make sure that love is always there. Even if you make difficult choices or choices that aren't popular, because 
you can love each other and still disagree, right? We, we understand that. So I think that is really the nugget of it, Patrice, for me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, for sure. I really love yeah. that because it's like you're applying that serving mindset now again to your everyday relationships with your family um, in extension to what it could be applied to for businesses and growing your business as well. So it's really valuable. Oh, I love that. Thank you for observing that. Yeah, I didn't see it that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. Yeah, so in, in extension to what we've been discussing this entire time about the serving mindset, all your accomplishments, I'd love for you to share any last words about like your resilience story or anything else you'd like the listeners to take note of. Absolutely, sure. So I would say, first of all, the listeners should listen to your podcast because you're a fabulous host. And, um, <laughs> and, um, and the other thing is trust yourself more. You know, I was telling my client this morning, trust yourself more in the process. So she's in her twenties. She's just quit a job, a really successful job and started her own business. And she's doing brilliantly, but putting so much pressure on herself and second guessing some of her choices. And I think it's easy to say, and there are methods to to help you do this, but but to be able to trust that you do know a lot, that you you are smart, you do know um, how to make good decisions, and not being in a second guessing mode all the time. Like you do your due diligence, you do your research, but in the end, when you make a decision to go one way or another, trust yourself. And I think this is just such a good reminder because um, we, we may not be surrounded by people to support us all the time. And, and to be able to trust ourselves, especially if we're talking about going into business for yourself, that trust factor, that is not only the best thing you can do for yourself, it's also extremely essential and attractive if you are going to be working with other people. Because Everyone's looking for someone they can lean on. For you to have trust and confidence in yourself, first, you can become a role model for others. So try to cultivate that trust in your own decisions and actions. And uh, I think that's, that's something that can maybe help you uh, develop even more resilience, to use Patrice's words. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people need to hear that affirmation, especially myself today. So before <laughs> we wrap things up, um, how can our listeners connect with you, keep up to date with your work? Um, let us know and I'll be putting all the links in the description of this episode. Sure. Thank you. So I am farnooshbrock.com or prolificliving.com. And Prolific Living is uh, the name I use on LinkedIn. You may connect with me there on social media anywhere. Um, I do like LinkedIn and Instagram most, but um, you can certainly go to my website and uh, connect with me. Um, I will be happy to continue the conversation with you if you like. And thank you so much for having me on your great show today, Patrice. Thank you so much again for listening to this episode of Rise Regardless. I hope that you share this with those in your circles to let them know what you've gleaned from it. And even let me know, post it on social, tell me what an impact it has made on you. 
I'd absolutely love to hear your thoughts because you're now a part of a community of resilient individuals and I can't wait to share the next episode with you.